Let's pray. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in his love, may have power together with all of God's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3 today. The address is up there on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 3. You can meet me there. There's a Bible on the pew in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, page 1227 in the pew Bible if you're using that. All right, round two, second service. One of two things has happened here. Either service one was a warm-up, and this was going to be way better, or I used all the good stuff last time, and you guys are getting the scraps at this point, and I don't know which one it's going to be. Living for Eternity. We're in a new series uh, starting today that's going to carry us through much of the fall, and uh, this actually is my third time preaching this message because this was the series that I preached at camp this year. I was at Camp Crossroads doing a week of family camp, and as I was preparing, I said, Lord, please give me something that will be good for camp, but will also be good for Meadowbrook, and this is where we were led. And so uh, I've had a week to unpack this up at camp. I've had a nine o'clock service to get the kinks out, so you guys are really getting the primo stuff from here on out. I want to show you a video clip, uh, just a short one here as we get going. The movie is Gladiator. Uh, If you haven't seen it, I think all you need to know in this scene is the Roman general is coming to rally his troops before the battle. my crops. Imagine where you will be, and it will be so. Hold the line. Stay with me. You find yourself alone, riding in green fields with the sun on your face. Do not be troubled, for you are in Elysium, and you're already dead. (laughs) Brothers, What we do in life echoes in eternity. Awesome line, right? How about that? What we do in life echoes in eternity, and that is where we are going in this series. What we do in this life has an eternal effect, and we're going to spend some time over the next number of weeks talking about what that means. Every culture on earth from all times, if you were to look at pretty much any time in human history, any place in the world, virtually every culture has some sort of context for eternity, some sort of context that there is more than just this life. 
And that's what we would expect if we expected that there is a God in heaven who made all people and has made us in his image. God is an eternal God. And Ecclesiastes says he's put eternity in the hearts of men. That there's something in us that knows that this world isn't quite right. There's something in us that knows there is something bigger than ourselves. And it's the pretty clear, overwhelmingly clear testimony of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that this life is not actually the best that God has to offer. There is more. That this world that we're living in is temporary. This life we're living in is temporary. If I lived to be 120 years old, that would be impressive. But even that would just be a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. Eternity is where we are spending most of our existence. And the things we do in this life echo in eternity. There is an effect. There is something that will continue on. And what we do in this life becomes so important in determining our eternity, in determining our, determining our destination for eternity, determining our place in eternity, our reward or not in eternity. The things that we do in this life are so important. And so what we're looking at in this series is having an eternal mindset because I don't know that I think about it that often. I just, I don't honestly think about it that much. And that's why I loved digging into God's word for this series. That I don't know that I live every day with an eternal mindset. Thinking of how what I do now and the choices that I make today are going to have an effect on eternity. It's just so easy to get caught up in the here and now. And to get caught up in today and even tomorrow. And our plans for our lives focus so much on, well, what are we doing today and this week and next week and a few months from now maybe. But I don't know how often my mind is in eternity And how often I really dwell on this notion that what I do in this life is going to be crucial in determining my eternity. Let's take a look at our text as we dig into this a bit today. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're starting in verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt into heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since we are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. I love the passage, and there's so much good stuff in there, and we can't possibly in one sermon unpack all of it. But what Peter makes clear at the outset is that God is working on a level of time very different than our concept of time. 
right? With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. That's not how we look at time. We look at time kind of step by step, and this is what it is. God's looking on the scale of eternity. He's looking on a whole other level. And there's such a great encouraging verse in there, uh, separate from the second coming, which we're going to talk about in a second, that just says, God's time's different than your time, and just because you haven't seen something yet, don't think that God's slow or missed out. Right? There's great encouragement there. Whatever we're praying for, whatever we're hoping for, whatever we're looking for, God's working on a schedule of time that's a bit different than our schedule of time. So just be encouraged that God's not slow in keeping his promises the way we would kind of define slowness, that God has a perspective and a wisdom that we don't. And his timing is always right. And so this passage unpacks this idea of the day of the Lord, which in Scripture is called different things. The day of the Lord, the second coming, the return of Jesus. Uh, It's called different things, but it has been a key cornerstone of the Christian faith for 2,000 years. That when Jesus was on this earth, he came and he did amazing things, and he taught amazing things, and he went to the cross, and he rose from the dead. And one of the last things he says is, guys, this isn't the last you'll see of me. I'm coming back. And Matthew and Mark and Luke and John write about this, and Paul writes about this, and Peter writes about this, and it shows up over and over and over and over again, this this hope, this faith, this understanding that this world as it is, it's just not right, right? With the sin and the violence and the brokenness and the evil, this world isn't right. And Jesus says, yes, it's not right. I'm coming back, and when I come back, everything will be restored the way it was meant to be. And this is good news, and this is why Peter says, look forward to this day. The day of the Lord, the day of God, the day that Jesus returns. And when you read the apostles as they write the New Testament, that understanding that Jesus is coming back drives so much of what they do. Because when Jesus taught about it and the apostles taught about it, they said, he's coming back and you're not going to know exactly when. There will be signs to get you ready, but you're not going to know the hour. You're not going to know the exact moment. And so you need to live your lives in the readiness, in the preparation. Live your lives understanding that he could come back. As we used to say in the Pentecostal church, by the time I finish this sentence. Or this sentence. Or this sentence. Right? Like that was what we were always taught growing up. And I don't know that we actually believe that. I mean, we might believe it certainly intellectually. But I don't know that I live my life with that expectation that Jesus could actually come back at any moment. And I could be face to face with eternity. And separate from the return of Jesus, as we sometimes say, I don't know what might happen on the car ride on the way home. Like eternity might be right at my doorstep and I'm not aware of it. I don't know that I live my life out of that understanding. Because when you read the apostles, there was such an urgency. Like we might not have time to wait to share the gospel with someone. We might not have time to wait to fix that relationship. We might not have time to wait to get that sin out of our lives. We might not have that time because Jesus might come back at any second. And that urgency drove the mission of the church for so long. And somewhere along the way, and I think honestly, even just within the last 100 years probably, in 2,000 years of church history, in the last 100 years, life here on earth actually got really pretty good. Life here on earth got pretty comfortable. Like, we're living in a pretty amazing time. And whereas the apostles had this understanding that Jesus might come back at any minute, they also had this understanding that while Paul's preaching on a Sunday morning, the Romans might kick in the door and cut his head off in that moment. 
right? So persecution was always right there. There was also an understanding that there were way more diseases, way more infectious diseases at the time, and way more poverty and way more malnutrition. Like, there were so many more ways to die prematurely back then. And honestly, in the last century and into this century, all of a sudden, like, our healthcare is amazing, and our quality of life is amazing. Our quality of water is amazing. And if we get sick, we're probably going to be fine. And, and just we live a comfortable, safe life here in Canada in the 21st century. And that's amazing. And we should give thanks for that every day if we're not. It's incredible. But with that good life, if I were to ask you, when are you going to see eternity? Most of us would probably say, well, I'm assuming in my 80s, right? Like I'm assuming way down the road, statistically, in Canada, that's probably it. And that's an amazing thing. But we've also lost then that urgency that none of us know when eternity is coming for us. None of us know when that is. I was in Zambia a number of years ago, and uh, I've shared stories of this before, but I was preaching there on a Sunday morning, and I had an interpreter with me, and I hadn't really done that before. But I would say a line, and the interpreter would say a line, and I had had a few interpreters while I was down there. This guy was the best one, because you know me, like, pacing around and telling a story. And as I'm telling a story, he'd be walking beside me doing the same thing. And, uh, and I'd make a funny face, and he'd make a funny face. And I was like, this guy gets me. This is awesome. And I was telling a story within that message about uh, the Columbine shooting. You remember that back in the 90s, the school shooting. I don't remember what the point was exactly, but I was telling that story, and as he interpreted it into Bemba, which was their language, uh, the people in the church started laughing at the story. And not like uproarious laughing, but just kind of like quiet chuckling. And I kind of looked at him weird, and he looked at me weird because he thought I was doing something. And then it sort of threw me off, and I kind of got through the message. And afterwards, I was saying, you know, great job. Thanks for your help. And I loved how you were with me and everything. I said, that story, I said, I just wonder, like, did we mistranslate? Like, what got lost there? That wasn't a funny story, to say the least. And they were all kind of chuckling. And the pastor had come over at that point, and he spoke English. And I think he knew maybe what we were talking about. And he came, and he just said, there's something you don't understand about Zambian culture. And he began to tell a story Uh, of just what their life was like there. And I had already encountered some of this in my time there, but like in Zambia, the average person's living off about $400 a year Canadian. And waterborne diseases are rampant. Malaria is rampant. AIDS is rampant. Um, When I was down there and was meeting pastors at different churches, a lot of them were on their second marriages, not because of divorce and remarriage, but because someone had died of malaria or something. A lot of them had buried children. Um, and so death is just around them in a very different way than in Canada. And so as he was sharing this, he said, you know, they were chuckling at that story. He says, I'm sure it must have seemed strange uh, to your ears. He said, they weren't laughing at the story. They weren't laughing at the death. They weren't laughing at the tragedy. He said, they were just kind of chuckling because that's what we do. What can you do? Death is around every corner in Zambia. So it's just, huh. That's all, that's the only reaction we have when you've buried two kids and a wife by the time you're 30. And it was so mind-blowing to me, because that's obviously just so different from the way we live life here. And when you live in a world where that mosquito bite on your arm literally could be your death sentence from malaria, that's going to motivate how you live your life very differently. And the way these people worshipped and the way they prayed and the way they shared Jesus and the way they planted churches and the way they helped each other, because for them, eternity was right around the door at any second, literally. 
Like they lived with that urgency because that was their reality. We're a bit on the other side here in Canada. That's not our reality. We've lost that urgency entirely. And yet when we're talking about this passage, as we look at what Peter wrote in verses 10 and 11, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Jesus would use that metaphor as well, and so would Paul. That is to say, like, if you don't know when a thief is going to break into your house, right? It comes out of the blue. And as different people in the Bible talk about Jesus coming back, they all bring up this idea that it's going to be a surprise. You're not going to know the hour that it happens at. And because you're not going to know the hour that it happens at, we are to live our lives in this place of readiness, that eternity might be right there. Because if what we do in life echoes in eternity, and if what we do in this life has eternal ramifications, and if we might stand before Jesus at any minute, what's that going to mean for us in terms of how we live our lives every day? The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And as we go through, we'll see what he says next in a second, but that kind of sounds a bit scary, except as we read through the rest of the passage, we see it's not the end of the world. That's not what's happening. It's not actually the end of the world. It's just the end of the world as we know it. Because there's a new world. There's a better world. There's a redeemed world. There's a healed world. There's a restored world coming. Jesus taught with a technique called a parable. And a parable is a story. It's like an allegory. Uh, We all read Animal Farm in high school. That's a parable. And a parable takes a simple story and uses it to teach a profound truth. It takes something very inaccessible, and it makes it really easily accessible for us. So Jesus taught somewhere between 30 and 45 parables. There's a range there because some disagree on what exactly makes up a parable. But somewhere between 30 and 45 parables, teaching the truths about God, the truths about salvation, the truths about the kingdom, and teaching them in an easily accessible way. And of those 30 to 45 parables, one in three of them, was about him coming back. One in three. A third of his teaching in this way was about his return. And the parable of the talents is one of them. If you want to go read that later, Matthew 25, 14 and 30. And Jesus taught it in different ways. And I love when you read the Gospels and Jesus just goes into a story. Once there was a man. Once there was a bridegroom. Once there was a king. And Jesus teaches on this concept in lots of different ways. It's like a bridegroom in a wedding. It's like a master who goes away on a journey. It's like a king who goes to visit another country. It's like an owner of a vineyard. And he's got all these different ways of coming at it. All these different stories, different specifics in every story. But they all come back to one central reality. Is that Jesus is coming back. And we don't know exactly when. And we need to be ready. That's the point every single time whether it's the bridegroom coming to the wedding or whether it's the master coming back from the journey or whether it's the king who visited the other country who's coming back to his kingdom, whatever angle Jesus takes on it is that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back at a time that we won't know exactly, but a lot of them emphasize the suddenliness of it. Not a word, but I'll use it anyway. The suddenliness. All of a sudden, Jesus said it would be like lightning, right? Lightning all of a sudden is just there. It would be just so sudden. And because we don't know when, and because it's going to be sudden, we are to live our lives out of that urgency, out of that expectation, because eternity is a really long time. 
And the longest life on this earth is just a drop in the bucket. And if this earth is temporary and this life is temporary, and if this earth and this life is actually not the best God has to offer, there's something better and more permanent, then we need to be living our lives with that in mind. And if everything we do in this life echoes into eternity, then that should have an effect on how we live day to day and what we're doing with our time here on earth in light of eternity. What kind of people ought we be? Peter says. In light of the fact that Jesus is returning, in light of the fact that eternity is waiting, what kind of people ought we be here on earth? Moving through our passage, verse 13 and 14, Peter says, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There'll be a restoration somehow, whatever that looks like, of creation. And we're looking forward to the permanent one, where righteousness dwells, where there is no sin, there is no evil, there is no heartache, there is no pain, there is no death. We are looking forward to that place. We're looking forward to it. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And scripture is full of these kind of cause and effects things. Because of this, this should happen. Because you believe this, that should cause this. Because we are looking forward to this, there should be an effect of that. And so because we believe he's coming and we're looking forward to it, we should make every effort, Peter says, to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. To get that sin out of our lives. To make sure our relationship was strong. To make sure we're ready. Make every effort Sarah and I just celebrated an anniversary in August. That's her on our wedding day. Um, Lovely, lovely. And when your wedding day is coming, Dan, listen up. This is you now, buddy. Wedding's coming. When your wedding is coming, nobody just rolls out of bed the day of the wedding and says, oh, wow, we got to get started. Right? Like, there's been a preparation. There's been a preparing. And we... We pick our venue and we get our minister and we get our photographer and our flowers in the months ahead. And as we get closer, we nail down our vows and our ceremony. And we, the woman picks the dress and the man picks the tux. And as we get closer, the guy gets his hair cut and the woman makes her appointment to get her hair done the day of. And she gets her makeup done. There's a preparation in that season. Right? You get your wedding book out and you hit your deadlines. Right, And we say, I want to lose five pounds. And we, we make ourselves ready. There's a preparation And scripture says when Jesus returns, it's a bit like that. That like a bride, you should get yourself ready for the groom, one of the names of Jesus, when he returns. There's a preparation that happens because we want to look our best for our spouse when we see them for the first time on our wedding day. And this is Peter's call to us, is get yourself ready. Prepare yourself. Clean yourself up. Give some attention to that because eternity is a long time. And we're going to spend most of our existence there. And if what we do in this life echoes in eternity, what kind of people should we be here on this earth as we get ourselves ready for him to come making every effort? If we knew our wedding date was tomorrow, we would be preparing ourselves rapidly. If we knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow, we would be preparing ourselves rapidly. And because we don't know the exactness of that, but we are expecting the suddenliness of that, then we should be using our lives to get ready, to live in that urgency. Philip Yancey says this, percentages don't apply to eternity, of course, but for the sake of argument, assume that 99% of our existence will take place in heaven. Isn't it a little bizarre that we simply ignore heaven, acting as if it didn't matter? 
And that might not be 100% true. I don't know if that's 100% true for me, but there's a good point there. There's a good challenge. We don't talk about it a lot. We don't talk about heaven much. We don't talk about eternity. We don't talk about the second coming. We learned this week as John and Marissa and I were talking about the service and what the theme was going to be. There's not a lot of modern worship that ties into this. There's not a lot of teaching that ties into this. And if you think of the old hymns and the old songs and, you know, it is well with my soul and I'll fly away and when the roll is called up yonder and when we all get to heaven, like there was much more of a focus on where we were going to spend most of our time. So much of teaching now and worship now focuses on how God blesses us now in this life, right? Because this life is pretty good. And so, so much of our attention has been on this life and what God, God's going to do in this life, and we should be worshipful and grateful and thankful for that. But eternity is a lot longer. We're spending most of our time there. And in light of that, what kind of people ought we be? As we go through this series in the weeks to come, uh, we are going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about hell. We're going to talk about end times a little bit, the second coming of Jesus a little bit. We are going to talk about the final judgment and standing before him. We're going to talk about what will we be judged on, right? If you're going to have a test, isn't, wouldn't it be nice to know what's going to be on the test? We're going to talk about that a little bit and uh, some other things as well as we focus on living for eternity. We saw in that clip at the beginning when the general was uh, rallying his troops and getting ready for battle, uh, he talked about Elysium, and he sort of, he makes a joke. They all laugh at it. I don't quite know what the joke was, but uh, he says, hey, if you're riding your horse and you find yourselves in golden fields in a sunny place, you're dead, so just enjoy that. Um, ha, 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 good Roman humor. And as they go, uh, you know, as, they, as he's trying to, to motivate them, the Romans had this view of this place called Elysium, and it was their sort of version of eternity in paradise. And uh, if you had done enough good, if you had lived with nobility, if you had lived with honor, especially if you had died in service of Rome, uh, you were set, and you got to go to this place. And if you didn't, you went to Hades, uh, and you had a very different eternity there. Um, and so in the Roman context, that was it. If you did enough good, you got in. If you didn't do enough good, you didn't get in. And most religions and philosophies of the world function that way. Jesus is different. The gospel is different. Uh, and I love that it's different because it's actually easier. It's better. Whereas in pretty much everywhere else, you don't know how you're doing until you die. You don't know if you're going to make it or not. Jesus does something completely different where he says, I'm going to remove your efforts out of this actually entirely because I love you. And that can be tough to understand unless you've actually really loved somebody. Because if you really love somebody, you just say, I'm going to make this as easy for you as I can. And so Jesus removes our efforts out of it altogether. And he says, here's the way to eternity. Trust me. Follow me. Trust me. Trust what I've done for you. And follow me. And as you do that, we will follow him to eternity. It's so much simpler. It's so much more loving. It's so much purer. And as we go through this series, in light of that, in light of eternity, in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back at a time that we don't know, in light of the fact that we will stand before him and give an account for our lives, in light of the fact that we will be judged on everything that we did on this earth, in light of the fact that the things we do in life echo in eternity, that what we do in our brief time here on earth will have eternal ramifications, in light of all of this, in light of all of these things, this is our question, what kind of people ought we be? 
as Peter challenges us. In light of eternity, what kind of people ought we be? What are we going to do with our time here on earth? How is that understanding going to affect what we do with our time, what we do with our money, what we do with our energy, how we treat people, what we make a priority, what we give ourselves to? In light of eternity, what kind of people ought we be? This is the type of series that I know, goodness knows, can raise a lot of questions. We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. It's in your bulletin as well, and it's on our website. And if you have questions or comments, we would love to keep the conversation going. Uh, would love to keep chatting about this with you there. I was going to do, there's an old illustration that Francis Chan came up with where he kind of does this thing with rope and eternity. And I was going to do it here live and do the rope thing here. But then I thought, better than me doing a Francis Chan illustration is Francis Chan himself uh, doing the illustration. So he's here. No, he's not. Um, but I got a YouTube video just as good. And uh, so here's what Francis Chan had to say about eternity. Um, imagine this rope. Okay, pretend this rope just goes on forever. Okay? Just imagination. Pretend it goes around the world a few times. It doesn't. It ends at the rock. But uh, let's just imagine this thing goes on forever. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. And you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh, man, am I going to get to travel? Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about, what about all this stuff? It's, just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can? Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy. And I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God. Because when I face Him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth. And it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this. And then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, Oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid, because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I look. I look at the way people live, and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow, and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb. Well, Francis gets the last word. That raises big questions, right? There's big questions that come out of that. 
Um, mine was, do I look as cool bald as Francis Chan does? Because he, he pulls that off well. We are living for eternity. We will live for eternity, one way or another. And what we do in this life will echo in that eternity. And in light of that, what kind of people ought we be? And just before we go, that's the question I'm going to leave you with today to chew on. Uh, Just before we go, we want to worship the Eternal One who made us eternal and who has called us to eternity and who has offered eternity to us with Him. So would you stand with me as we worship and then we'll close. So what will you do with eternity? As you go into this week, as you think about the decisions we make, decisions you make, are you filtering it through the eyes of the lens of the kingdom and through eternity? And if you've come this week and you're trying to understand what it means to live with Jesus for eternity and what it means to follow him as well, we want to encourage you to come talk to one of us about that as well. We don't want you to leave this building without understanding who Jesus is and how much he loves you. It's the greatest and the most important decision you could ever make is to find Christ and to give your life to him. And as you think about your life this week and you've given your life to Jesus and you've gone to church and you say that you are a Christ follower, my encouragement for you, my challenge also for you and for myself, are we filtering our decisions in our life through the eyes and the lens of eternity? That's what we're called to do. And what's awesome, you guys, Jesus is coming back one day. And that's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? And there are days in my life where I'm in bed and I'm thinking about my day and I'm thinking, man, I just don't want to get in bed. I don't want to be a parent today. I don't want to be a pastor today. But you know what gets me out of my bed? is thinking that I know Christ is coming back one day. And there's work to be done here on earth. And that excites me. And my encouragement for you is to live with that lens. I don't live with that lens every day. But when I think about Jesus coming back, and he is coming back one day, and we're all going to see it and experience it. My hope and your understanding of Jesus is in your heart that he knows that he loves you so much and he's with you and you can give your heart to him and live for him. Let's read out of the Bible before we go. First Thessalonians. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Father, we give you our lives. We give you this week. Give us the eyes and the ears to see through eternity's lenses. And Jesus, show us more of your face in everything we say and we do. So Lord, the day of your coming, when it happens, that we will be ready. We love you, Jesus. Continue to guide us and bless us and reveal yourself to us. And for those who are walking and trying to figure out who you are, Holy Spirit, come and show them the depth of your love. Thank you that the cross is empty and the grave is no more. And that you looked at death and said, no. We wait upon your return, Lord Jesus, whenever that is. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.